0: Good evening, another lovely evening to explore the Dharma. So, as of today, we um, finished the, the instructions on doing Vipassana meditation. So, some of you will be thrilled to know that the morning meditations will be a little bit quieter. And we've been following, to a certain extent, the um, teachings on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutra. And this sutra, many of you are familiar with it, we've mentioned it, um, points to where and how to pay attention in order to liberate the heart and mind. So the places that we established mindfulness, or the foundation of our mindfulness. And we talked first about the body, the first foundation, the body. First of all, just as a place to connect and to arrive, right, using our anchor, our home base, traditionally the breath and the sutra, the breath. And then we talked about um, coming closer to the body, investigating more, Intimately, what is this body? For example, the four elements, the different sensations that uh, we call the body and the senses that are based in the body. We also looked in this first foundation at um, mindfulness throughout our day and all of our activities And then the second foundation, which I'm going to talk about tonight, is vedana, or feeling tone—the the first impression uh, of a an experience, a sense contact of whether we experience it as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And I sometimes see how these. Um, These establishments of mindfulness, it seems like they kind of flow into each other. So we have this body, we have these senses, we connect deeply, intimately, and we start to notice that they have different feeling tones. Some are pleasant, some are unpleasant, some are very pleasant, some are very unpleasant. Some are neither, some are rather neutral. And then the third foundation of mind states or heart states uh, we, we explore, or you could say it, it spills over from the, from the feeling tone because how we respond to feeling tone determines the mind states that are present, whether they're um, mind states of clarity and equanimity or whether they're mind states, afflictive mind states of grasping, aversion, or delusion. And the point of all of this, we have to come back to the point. The point of this investigation, the point of the pasna meditation, is peace through understanding. So we usually look for peace through control. And we're starting to shift how we look for peace. We try to control. We see it doesn't work. Or it's a lot of dukkha. We see that for ourselves. And so this understanding comes from this experiential learning with this heart, body, mind as our lab. And as Bhante was saying this morning, it's not a thinking kind of understanding. We're not sitting and thinking about the Dharma, though, yes, we do that too. But that that's not the avenue we're pointing towards. We're pointing towards this avenue of moment by moment by moment, seeing the unfolding, you could say, of dukkha or the unfolding of freedom. And the second foundation of feeling tone is key in this unfolding process. So one of the questions in the basket was, how does equanimity develop? Is it through self-compassion? Is it through non-identification? Is it through impermanence? Those were three options listed on the note. How does equanimity develop? I'm going to give you the secret teachings on equanimity (laughs) through um, a teaching story. (laughs) That one way we develop equanimity is through feeling. So this is a true story about Burmese sweet tea. So as some of you know, uh, there's a retreat that before the pandemic that took place every year in um, Upper Burma, near Mandalay in the Sagain Hills. I'm sure Greg mentioned it. I'd be surprised if he didn't for those who um, have been here from part one, a monastery called Chazwa Monastery. And I went on retreat there uh, every other year for a number of years. I've lost track of count, but every other January, I'd go there for a three-week retreat. And one of the things I love many things about being in Burma, um, but one of the things I really loved was Burmese sweet tea called La Cho. La cho. <laughs> I speak a little Burmese, but not very much. And so, um, on retreat, la Cho was what I looked forward to when things were rough. You probably, some of you, have one of those kind of things, right? You know, like in the afternoon, be like, "Oh, so tired, rough." There's always la Cho tomorrow morning. was <laughs> like, okay, I'll make it. <laughs> This tea is superb. I tried to redo it here, and even though they told me how I couldn't redo it, uh, they use sweetened condensed milk, which might give you a sense of how good it is. <laughs> so on one particular retreat, I looked forward to La Cho for months before I went to Burma. So I get there my first day, and... Um, there's so much power at this monastery. People have been meditating at this monastery for over 800 years. And um, the energy is so strong that when I go there on retreat, I just shh, settle right away. It's kind of like the P2 folks, the folks that arrived 10 days ago. You know, you had all the preparation done by the first people. So I'm sh- most of you probably settled faster than usual. Well, the energy's so strong, I settle right into retreat, like immediately. So I go down to breakfast the first morning looking forward to my lepecho. And I cried all the way through breakfast. I didn't sob, but (laughs) I had tears (laughs) running down my cheeks. And the reason why is because the pleasantness didn't last. So I, I would take some tea and I would watch pleasant, pleasant, and it would be like pleasant, gone. Pleasant, gone. That was my experience. Pleasant, gone. And I was so disappointed. It was sweet, it was delicious, but it didn't last. It kept ending. (laughs) Each moment of pleasantness was ephemeral. I had expected so much more out of this tea. So every morning, I practiced mindfulness of pleasantness, drinking my la And I felt my relationship to what was happening, to this ending, right? It still was like pleasant ending, pleasant ending. And I passed through disappointment. I passed through anger. I got angry at the tea. I was like, why aren't you doing it? You're supposed <laughs> to be doing it for me. I, got, I felt betrayed by the tea. <laughs> I felt grief. I just went through. Um, the, I felt my relationship to pleasantness and the ending of pleasantness, right? Then finally one morning, I'm drinking my tea, mindful of the sweetness and the pleasantness, and I experience pleasantness, ending of pleasantness, and peace. No more struggle with impermanence, with the impermanence of pleasantness. Just a sweet equanimity that was much more pleasant than the tea. So this is one way that we develop equanimity is by going through moment by moment experientially the process of our relationship to feeling tone our response with honesty right whether it's grief disappointment betrayal anger and you could say that we let awareness work it out we don't have to 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 force it right there was no forcing in what i did i was just present with the truth of my experience, and awareness worked it out. One day, something let go. I learned from those moment-to-moment experience, I learned that it wasn't worth holding on, that holding on was dukkha, that this is the way things are. So, we will um, explore more deeply this truth, a feeling tone, and how it leads to freedom. The freedom of, of equanimity, that um, deep understanding that reactivity isn't worth it. Some of this might be a repeat for some of you from part one. You might have had a talk on the feeling tone, and Winnie, I know, said a little bit the other day. Can we be okay with things being repeated? Can we um, hear it fresh? I was reminded when the Burmese Sayadaws give talks, uh, the talk is usually... Like two thirds to three quarters a repeat of the night before, and then there's some new information. And not only is two thirds to three quarters a repeat of the night before, half of it's in Burmese, so (laughs) you you don't uh, most of us don't understand it. Though you hear a poly word every once in a while that we understand. Sayada ulakana. Uh, the, who was the abbot of this monastery, Cheswa? One time he gave two talks, 75 minutes each, on how to uh, be with the pain in the buttocks when you sit for a long time. <laughs> so uh, you're getting off easy here. <laughs> we usually have something, something, more new things to say, perhaps. But the idea is we're not here trying to download as much information as possible. We're, we're looking actually for depth and breadth. And when we hear the same um, information again, sometimes it goes deeper or it broadens our understanding. There's all kinds of possibilities. So let's go more into feeling tone. As I said, it's the pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant first impression of sense contact. So let's break it down even a little bit more. We're going to give some good Buddhist um, psychology for some of you who like that kind of thing. So according to Buddhist psychology, each moment of experience is a moment of what's called sense contact. And sense contact is the coming together of the sense object, the sense door, and the sense consciousness. So for example... The sound of that bell is the result of sound waves. That's the sense object. The ear, sense door. And what's sometimes called ignition, hearing consciousness, the knowing or the consciousness of that experience. And our life is actually just moment after moment after moment of sense contact. So already there's this fascinating truth that there isn't some kind of independent existence of me, that what I am is um, intricately interdependent with the world around me. And then each moment of experience is a coming together of, of many causes and conditions. So continuing on with Buddhist psychology, we have this moment of sense contact. And each one of those moments of sense contact has an af- effective quality, what we call vedana. So it arises at the same time as the sense contact. I call it the first impression because it's, it's not a thought. It's pre-thought. It's really about how the experience lands in that moment. And it, too, is dependent on causes and conditions. It's not inherent in the sense object. It's inherent in all the causes and conditions that come together in this moment. I'm sure Greg said last um, uh, part, the object is innocent. He says that a lot. The object is innocent. For example, one chocolate chip cookie might be very pleasant, might have a pleasant uh, feeling tone, but 10 might start feeling a little different. This came home to me one day, um, a few summers ago, there's a bird in the woods around here near my house called a wood thrush or hermit thrush, and it has this song that's like a flute. It's ethereal, kind of thin. It's really beautiful, beautiful song. Whenever I hear it, I, I feel so touched by the beauty of it. And I would never have imagined that that would be an unpleasant experience for me. However, this particular day, they were having a wood thrush convention in my yard and the wood thrushes (laughs) sung all day long. They usually just like sing at dusk or just every once in a while, but all day long. And around four o'clock, I turned to my husband and I said, I do believe I'm experiencing the wood thrush song as unpleasant. (laughs) So the wood thrushes were innocent. It was just the way that causes and conditions were coming together after hearing the song all day. You can remember this the next time somebody coughs in the hall. (laughs) They're innocent. It's just that the sound lands on us as unpleasant in this moment. Or perhaps it lands on us as pleasant. It wakes us up from a long story and reminds us to be back. One time I had a meeting group of students, and um, one of them was upset because somebody was sto- snoring in the hall. So. She was like it was very unpleasant to her, and she was experiencing a lot of aversion. And then this young woman said, Wow, you know, that snoring, it reminds me of my grandfather, and it makes me feel comforted. So for her, it was pleasant. The snorer was innocent. (laughs) So now that we've established that, Why is this so important, right? I remember thinking early on there's four foundations, and this little detail about whether it feels pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, this tiny detail, (laughs) subtle detail, I was like, why does it, you know, why does it get its own foundation? (laughs) It's a lot of, you know, that's heavy, heavy, one quarter, right? And it's really because this is the great originator, not the first first originator, but the most concrete originator of the whole chain of suffering and the whole chain of the solidification of the sense of a separate self. It's a concrete place where the chain of suffering unfolds and where we, with mindfulness, can bring in the chance for freedom so where we can break the chain of suffering. I'm going to give you one more little Buddhist psychology or more Buddhist uh, teachings, and then um, we're going to work, move into like how do we work with this very concretely. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of dependent origination. Very fast. (laughs) So, what happens in this world is we come into this world, come into this world with some basic ignorance, or not enlightened, in other words. We come in with our karmic conditioning. And then we have this Body mind, right? So that's the kind of the beginning there. Then we have contact and feeling tone. And then that's a moment of life. And then without mindfulness, what happens next is we have craving, clinging, or grasping, becoming birth, and suffering. So so it's like it, we get more and more solidified. Craving, clinging, becoming, birth, suffering. With mindfulness, we have this moment of contact, feeling tone. Oh we don't have to do all that. We don't have to do the craving, clinging, becoming, birth, and suffering. We can have peace and freedom. That was a very quick cruise through (laughs) dependent origination. (laughs) Just a kind of very um, surfacey level. So this conditioning of a feeling tone it's perhaps our deepest evolutionary conditioning. This goes way back. Amoebas have this conditioning. So it's... it's um, if you're wondering why it's so tenacious, this conditioning to react, to react to pleasant unpleasant with the grasping our aversion, it's because it's such a deep survival conditioning Feeling tone itself is not a problem. Sometimes appropriate to move towards what's pleasant and to avoid what's unpleasant, right? It has some usefulness. The problem is when we are bound to this conditioning, and Jill expressed that so beautifully the other day, when we're bound to this conditioning and we don't have any choice and we're unconsciously like ping pong ball, just all over the place, ping, 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 ping. We're unconsciously um, driven and um, bound to this conditioning, and don't have any freedom around it. That's the problem. That's what concerns us. That's what we we want to develop. Is, uh, is ability to be aware of feeling tone and not so automatically bound by it that we have choice. And not so um, bound by it because that's painful. That's dukkha. So understanding this intimately in our own experience is what gives us that Chance for freedom, just like I explained with the (laughs) T. So, with with mindfulness, we have contact, feeling, tone, and then we um, notice just unpleasant, just pleasant. Don't have to go into reactivity. So just to have a glimpse that unpleasant doesn't automatically have to go into pleasant or that uh, aversion, or that pleasant doesn't automatically have to go into grasping. Just to have a glimpse of of that is extremely powerful. It's like an evolutionary leap. Because at first they seem like they're married forever. Maybe if you have explored this, you've probably noticed that, like something unpleasant comes up, aversion is like right there. <laughs> something pleasant comes up, and grasping, trying to hold on, is right there. Right? They seem like they're like this, and just to have the sense that there can be some space there—it's huge. It's so kind of mind-blowing that I remember the first time that I noticed that. I was sitting back there in the hall <laughs> and uh, during one of these retreats, and um, they started mowing the lawn outside. I had been having a very nice concentrated sitting, <laughs> and um, I didn't like that. <laughs> and i noticed my mind started complaining like why are they mowing the lawn during a sitting period why don't they mow it during a walking period don't they care about you know what's going on in here and they're ruining my my meditation so we started getting into that story and um then i realized what was happening i like hmm maybe we should try some mindfulness <laughs> so i i noticed the 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 hearing, the sound of the lawnmower, I just let the hearing happen. Noticed it was unpleasant. And then I was just like, oh, it's just unpleasant. Like all the rest of that's extra. I don't have to go there. It was so freeing. It's just unpleasant. So, mindfulness again does the work. It wasn't like I was like, no, Rebecca, you can't react to that lawnmower. You should not react to that lawnmower. Come on, be (laughs) equanimous. It was more like mindfulness worked it out. Okay, let's go into each one a little bit more, into each um, each one of the feeling tones. So pleasant feeling tone. Pleasant feeling tone occurs when an experience of hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, or the mind, a mind event, impacts us as pleasant. And if we're not mindful, that leads us to try to hold on, grasp, keep, want that experience. And that, you know, gets solidified. You can feel how your self solidifies when that happens, right? When we want something, we can feel that sense of self gets strong and kind of um, barricaded. That's how I experience it. It's like, that you're shielded by the by the grasping, but with mindfulness, we see that there is the possibility that it's just pleasant, that it can stop right there. So, one technique for developing um, or overcoming pleasant vedana sometimes is to deny oneself pleasant experiences. So we will recognize that as renunciation practices, and sometimes those are helpful for our our, our learning. For example, the eight precepts here: not having um, dinner, not dancing and singing. <laughs> and being on high, luxurious beds. Um, It's all about uh, learning that perhaps our happiness does not have to be tied to sense pleasures. But sometimes it goes a bit extreme. (laughs) The Buddha uh, explored this avenue, but explored it quite extremely, eating almost nothing, not laying down, practicing a lot of austerities. And at a certain point when he'd gotten very weak, he 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 decided, ah, that that much austerity is not useful. That's not supportive. And so we, so sometimes renunciation practices are helpful, but when they're done with balance and wisdom. But another way, rather than trying to, um, you could say, avoid pleasant experiences, to incorporate mindfulness of pleasantness into our meditation practice. And while we know that a danger of attachment exists when we believe that pleasant experiences will satisfy our wish for happiness it's also true that pleasant sense contact feels good and that is good for our nervous systems it calms the body pleasantness calms the body it nourishes the body it triggers the parasympathetic nervous system which grounds and relaxes us So learning how to fully contact pleasant sense experiences is a way to nourish the body and our heart. Can we slow down enough to hear the chickadee-dee-dee-dee? Or perhaps feel the warmth of the sun on our face outside? Or taste our morning tea? And we can feel the reverberations in our body when we take in these experiences. We can receive these gifts of beauty and nourishment from the world. So in that sense, pleasant um, sense experience can support our practice, especially when there's a lot of dukkha. We feel overwhelmed, worn out. It's like, oh, the the opportunities are vast, right? Go out the front door, feel the sun. Or if it's raining, listen to the rain falling. Feel the moistness, the, the smell, right, of the rain. And as we get closer to a pleasant sense experience, we also also develop understanding about reality. And we understand directly from being mindfully with these pleasant sense experiences that although they are nourishing, they don't last. And they can't provide us the ultimate happiness that we're looking for. We feel ourselves get attached and try to hold on. We experience the stress and tension from that. We experience a craving that separates us and blocks our hearts. Dukkha. And slowly we realize that letting go is the key to peace. Letting pleasantness arise and pass away. Arise and pass away. In fact, in the Sutra, Satipatthana Sutra, we are instructed to notice feeling tone arising and passing away. So we really get this. So we get that sense um, experiences are not going to provide us the lasting happiness we're looking for. Because they end. And we start to learn that maybe we can tolerate the ending of pleasantness without turmoil. So it's true about la pecho, Burmese sweet tea, and it's true about life. And so these teachings unfold From our willingness to directly engage with pleasant feeling tone. There's a great uh, series of short sutras titled The Gratification, the Danger, and the Escape. One of my favorite sets of. Of sutras. And in these sutras, the Buddha recognizes that there is some gratification in pleasant sense experiences. He says, The pleasure and joy that arise in dependence on the world, this is a gratification of the world. So pointing towards sense pleasures. And then the gratification, the danger, the danger, of course, is that because of the gratification, we get bound. But That the world is impermanent, unreliable, and subject to change. That is the danger of the world. The escape. The abandonment of grasping attachment for the world. This is escape. So that's what we're learning. And this is the abandonment of the attachment. So for me, I was learning with the T. The abandonment of the attachment to the pleasantness. I could still enjoy it, but yeah, it wasn't that wasn't the problem? The problem was I wanted it to last. I wanted it to stay. And the Buddha in the sutra says that when he directly understood for himself the gratification, the danger, and the escape, his mind and heart were freed. So yes, enjoy the pleasures of this human realm, but don't put all your happiness eggs in that basket. We learn how to connect with pleasantness with a light heart, one that knows how to let go and experience the deeper pleasure of equanimity. Let's talk a little bit about unpleasant. So unpleasant sense contact without mindfulness leads to aversion. We hate it. We try to push it away. We attempt to manage it so it won't bother us. Aversion is so interesting because it has this secret belief that if we hate something enough, we'll get rid of it check it out. It's so, it's kind of (laughs) diluted. It's our hope. It's our hope with aversion. If we hate something enough, it will go away. So when we first explore, right, aversion, unpleasantness, not a space at all, but with mindfulness, we can let go of the drama of aversion and we can notice, oh, it's, Just unpleasant. That's all that's happening. We learn to soften into unpleasantness rather than to get hard against it with aversion. Other unpleasant sounds are sounds that land on us as unpleasant. So unpleasant sounds is shorthand for sounds that land on us as unpleasant (laughs) So unpleasant sounds, sensations, emotions. We make room in our hearts to be able to land in that without needing to harden against it. And then sometimes there was a question in the basket. Somebody said, I feel aversion when sleepiness arises. But then I notice that when I actually experience sleepiness, it's kind of pleasant. <laughs> so what we start to see is that our minds, uh, that our thoughts about experience is one of the, the contributing factors to how it lands on us and that we, that we kind of create. Um, it's the idea The idea of sleepiness, right? The reason why we have aversion to sleepiness is because we think we're bad meditators and we're never going to get anywhere. I'm living proof that you actually can advance in your meditation even if you're sleepy. (laughs) I experienced so much sleepiness in my early meditations, my early three-month retreat. And I found the same thing. When I explored it, it was like, oh, sleepiness isn't so bad. It's kind of nice. Especially when after a number of years, I switched to restlessness. (laughs) And I was like, can I have the sleepiness back? (laughs) Because restlessness is truly unpleasant. (laughs) Mm. So think about that you ones who are sleepy out there. <laughs> it could be worse. <laughs> and so we can directly explore or investigate as Bonte was talking about this morning, by experiencing there's three aspects that we can put our attention on when we're exploring our reactivity to some sense experience, whether pleasant or unpleasant. First, we can feel the direct experience, the sense contact experience. Then we can rest in the feeling tone. And then we can explore the response, whether it's aversion or grasping or equanimity. And so we can move our attention between these three, these three aspects of experience. The sense experience, the feeling tone, and the response to see if there can be any gaps. First they're like this, and then to see if there can be any gaps between the two. We see how mindfulness impacts the situation. What happens when we bring mindfulness to those three aspects? And there's no right answer. We're not trying to make a gap. We're not trying to be equanimous. We're connecting with what's actually happening to develop flexibility of heart and mind and allowing a possibility of a fresh response. Now, my story of the sound of a lawnmower is um, exploring unpleasant Vedana 101. <laughs> Not a big, big deal, right? But in our lives, we get lots of chances. Pain, aging, illness, sorrow, loss, fear. Right? In the body, we get lots of Chances, most of us, you know, in a human body, you can't avoid feeling pain. So let's say I have a pain in my knee. Where's the problem? That can be another one of the questions. Like, where's the problem? So I can feel the sensations in the knee. Maybe it's burning, stabbing, pulling. I can notice it's unpleasant. Right? I can rest in, oh, unpleasant, unpleasant. Then I can notice the mind going, oh, I hate this. No, uh-uh, uh-uh, brace against it, right? I can feel that, be with that mindfully. I can come back to the sensations. Can I just rest in the sensations? Can I just rest in the unpleasantness? Maybe I can just rest in the aversion. It's like, oh don't like it right now and we see does something open up? Are there a few moments maybe where I can just be with the sensations That's an evolutionary leap. Are there a few moments when I can just rest with all oh, its unpleasant, few moments of equanimity or peace. In fact, let's try it for a couple minutes together. (laughs) So uh, just check right now if you wish, if you wish to just do a little few minute exploration. Any experience in your body? or your mind that is standing out at this moment as pleasant or unpleasant, that's kind of noticeable. If not, you can just listen along too, that's fine. So take a moment, first we'll just take a couple more moments to settle. this experience that's standing out as pleasant or unpleasant. So first of all, we can just connect with that experience and perhaps move a little closer to it, receive it. You can see if there's room in the heart-mind to be with it just as it is. Maybe yes, maybe no. If not, we can notice the feeling tone, pleasant or unpleasant. What's it like to rest in, oh, it's just pleasant, just unpleasant. Maybe we can, maybe we can't. What's the response of the heart mind? Is there aversion or grasping, reactivity? Or is there some sense of peace, equanimity? So feel free to move your attention between these three aspects, the sense experience, the feeling tone, and the response. Not thinking about, but actually feeling. no right answer just your own experience teaching you your own experience as your teacher well I could keep meditating for a lot longer but we perhaps should move on Just, did you learn anything? That would be the question. Did you learn anything from that experience? If not, don't worry. You have lots of chances coming (laughs) up (laughs) to explore. And I hope you saw that we try to keep it somewhat simple. We try, you know, we might find ourselves thinking about it, but then, no, what's the... Can I feel it? Can I feel the experience? It's simpler. So that the experience teaches us. Better move on to neutral. So the Buddha, when he talked about Vedana, Sometimes he just talked about two feeling tones, pleasant and unpleasant, because those two are the ones that um, condition reactivity. Other times he talked about three feeling tones, including what we call neutral, but which is usually in the um, discourses described as neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Neutral is a little easier, less of a mouthful. So the third feeling tone of neutral, it doesn't condition reactivity so much, but rather spacing out. <laughs> We're not so interested. And spacing out gives room for delusion to take hold. Spacing out, not being mindful, our kind of diluted conditioning about life just runs on automatic. So gets reinforced. Delusion and ignorance are even deeper roots of suffering. So it's important not to give them any more room to flourish than um, than we can avoid. <laughs> it's really interesting to look at our relationship to neutral because. In our goal-oriented world, we're not so interested in neutral experiences. They're not going to take us where we want to go. They're not going to take us somewhere pleasant and help us avoid unpleasant. So we just kind of don't expend our energy on them. But when you consider how much of life is ordinary... It's a tragedy that we don't value it as worthy of our interest, of our presence. So, we, with meditation, we cultivate the ability to um, connect fully. With that which doesn't have a charge for us. Might start with the breath, fairly neutral. Can we be interested in being present for the breath? Can we be interested in all the ordinary moments of our life? A step. Pretty neutral experience, you're not going anywhere walking, meditation, you're not going anywhere, right? You're not getting anything. Can we be interested in lifting, moving, placing? So we explore our relationship to what is neutral. We explore when we when we get disinterested, when we get bored. So that can be a response to neutral, right, is boredom. Sense contact, neutral, boring. (laughs) What's it like to be bored? What is that? Like we can move towards that experience. Most of us really don't like boredom. But it can be awfully interesting. We can move towards it. Like It's often hiding, wanting, or not wanting. Often when we're bored, we're just really wanting something else. Boredom can be a gateway into freedom, into the freedom possible when we connect with neutral experience. Learning how to connect with neutral experience can help us get some of our first glimpses of peace because it doesn't have a charge, because it doesn't inherently carry that tendency to reactivity. So it presents an access to a mind free of reactivity, a mind and heart that can settle with just this experience, ordinary, common, a kind of contentment. And what we start to see is that life um, is rich and full, and that we don't need anything else than what we have right here, right in this moment. Well, dear friends, I had more to say, but we have spent an hour together here. So it's time to move on. So feel free to explore feeling tone in your practice. Um, Not all the time, it'll drive you crazy, Uh, but it's especially helpful when an experience feels sticky. So some, um, you know, particularly unpleasant or particularly pleasant experience that you're sticking to in some way. Let's say there's this fantasy you keep going back to in your mind. It's like, oh, so thinking, fantasizing, oh, pleasant, just pleasant. Do I have to go there? So you can check it out. I'll end with um, a quote from the Buddha. When a bhikkhu, or let's say a practitioner, when a practitioner has heard that nothing is worth adhering to, they directly know everything, whatever feeling they feel, whether pleasant or painful, or neither unpleasant nor pleasant, neutral, They abide contemplating impermanence in these feelings. Contemplating thus, they do not cling to anything in this world. When they do not cling, they do not become agitated. When they do not become agitated, they personally attain Nibbana. Mindfulness of feeling tone can take you a long ways. Let's sit for a minute. Just pleasant, just unpleasant, just neutral.